with this girl, and she's like, I just wanted to let you know I Googled you before the date. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I got nothing to hide. Plus, I pay a company to wipe all that shit off the internet anyway. <laughs> she's like, well, you probably Googled me to make sure that I wasn't a serial killer. I'm like, I've been dating for 35 years. Most of the fun I'm getting out of tonight is the fact that I might be on a date with a serial killer. She had crazy eyes. I'm like, I'm either gonna have the best time of my life or I'm gonna be on forensic files next week. This is Don Jameson, uh, comedian, podcast host, television host. I think he even won an Emmy as well. Isn't that amazing? I should have asked him about that. Hi, everybody. It's the Check Your Brain podcast with Tony Mazur here, and my guest, as you heard there and as you heard me mention, is Don Jameson. Don uh, has been touring the country for a couple of decades. He's one of the nicest guys, honestly, most approachable, nicest guys in the business. And I've got to work with him a bunch of times, got to know him pretty well. And uh, so... When we recorded this, he was performing at the Funny Stop that weekend, but I still wanted to talk to him. So it's a really cool conversation we have. We talk about coming out of the pandemic and what kind of material he was going to have and getting back on stage. We talked a little music, and uh, we had some great Otto and George stories that uh, we, we both talked about and some nightmare gigs. So I hope you really enjoy this podcast with Don. If you enjoy more conversations like that, I hate to whore myself out like this, but... Subscribe to my Patreon if you can, if you, you know, just five bucks a month. So maybe you heard this Don Jameson podcast, how, you know, in July, but yeah, you may have gotten it in May if you listen to the podcast. So just five bucks a month, you get this, get early access to guests, as well as uh, an opportunity to hear additional podcasts per week of me ranting, ranting and raving about whatever. So hope you check that out. I'm, I gotta say, I'll be honest, I'm tired because I did three podcasts today, so... I'm going to wrap this up. So, again, go to my Patreon at Tony, uh, slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R, and subscribe for just 5 bucks a month to the Check Your Brain podcast. Without further ado, the host of that Jameson show on Compound Media, and he's got some albums out, including one of them, De Denim and Laughter, his most recent one. He's signed to Metal Blade Records and Brian Slagle and those guys. So give it up for Don Jameson. Hey, brother. How you been? I'm good, man. I just got back from Austin. How was that? Texas. How'd that, how'd that go? How did everyone enjoy themselves in a, more of a land of freedom? <laughs> yeah. It, man, it was amazing, dude. Just to walk around, no masks, just loving life. And, you know, the, the rowdy Texas crowds did not disappoint. How many times did Gino drop an N-bomb? Uh, <laughs> I... I think he made it through the weekend, believe it or not, without. That was funny because the last time I saw you was in uh, Atlantic City, and that was where they had to, didn't they have to put him to bed? Didn't Luby have to go up and take him to bed because he was out of his mind drunk on stage? <laughs> he, he had to be put to bed also this weekend. But, I think again, I think he avoided the N-word. I didn't hear any. <laughs> I was, uh, there was, uh, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of faggot. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of that. Well, hey, I, I I do appreciate you coming on here. I'm gonna post this. Um, I'm gonna post the full thing that we'll do in a couple of weeks, and then I'll what I'll do is I'll splice out the part where I say, "And you're gonna be at the funny stop this weekend." Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to do that, but yeah, it'll sound pretty good. You, you want me on camera, or I don't? I you, didn't know what this. You was. can if you want. It's no problem. Yeah, I look. I I just got up, so I'm I'm just rolling. And I've got but, my Hawaiian shirt because I'm doing Chad Zumach's podcast next. And of course, we all know he's the uh, he's Florida's greatest comedian. I got. <laughs> where'd you hear that? Uh, well, he told me. Uh, oh, you mean on Twitter every <laughs> other day? Absolutely. Tell him I said hey. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll do that. And uh, now you've got uh, one thing because uh, I'm I'm recording. I'm just gonna just keep going here. Um, All right. Because you've got your your podcast, your your show on uh, Compound that that Jameson show, and yeah. you know it, it, that's kind of a show that actually really has worked through the pandemic. It seemed like you, I mean, whether you were able to be in the studio or not, you just get these guys on Zoom. And that's probably what you were going to do anyways. And it's actually, it sounds better than being over the phone and doing just a regular phoner. Uh, it's a Zooming world now, Tony. You know, it's everything's a Zoom, you know. Now, you know, people go, oh, this is great. I don't have to go anywhere or do anything. But then every phone call you do is, has to be on camera. So, like, then you have to get ready. You got to look good because you're going to be Zooming with people. So, um, it, yeah, there's good and bad to it. But, uh, yeah, I got these I've been having these guys Zoom and Skype in. You know, I'm sneaking up on my 100th show, which I'm really excited about, man. I had so many cool interviews on that Jameson show. You know, I've had six Rock and Roll Hall of Famers on the show already. And um, so, yeah, we're rolling along. And, yeah, we didn't miss a beat during the pandemic, man. And I tell you, man, that's one of the that's one of the things that kept me relatively sane. Yeah, you're getting a chance to talk to people that because you're you're a guy that you're always on the road. You're on the road, and whether you're doing your own comedy show at a club or you're at a rock club or you're opening for somebody who's performing, you're always doing something. And when you take that massive part of somebody's, it's not just their life, it's their whole lifestyle. It's not just the career part. It's a lifestyle. And you're on the road with these guys. It's, uh, you had to do something. And I think all of us had been driven crazy to some extent and I know that was kind of one of the things, like you said, it kept you sane and kept you a little more, I, I, God, I hate using this term grounded, but in a way it, it kind of applies. I, I'm, I don't know. Why would you say grounded? Now I'm offended. What are you, what are you, five? What, what are you saying that? What are you doing, yoga? <laughs> yeah, I'm triggered. Um, no, I, and not only, Tony, not only was I going, uh, going crazy, but I was, dri- I was driving the people that I love crazy too. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was spending time, you know, I was spending time with my parents, you know, they're, they're seniors and, um, uh, you know, I was looking after them at the, during the pandemic. But since I didn't have a stage, I'd show up at their house, you know, I, you know, I'd, I'd do my show and then I'd, I'd r- drive down there and spend a few days with them. And the minute I walked in, like I would do a 30 minute rant, like as if I was playing at a club, mm-hmm. you know, because I had nowhere to vent. So I would vent to my parents and then they, eventually they're like, listen. You know, you got to get back on stage, man. You're you're too you're way too angry when you're not performing. So, uh, yeah. So I was making everybody nuts, but man, it's been cool, man. Been working pretty steadily since September again, and uh, I'm in fighting shape for this weekend at the Funny Stop. I can't wait, man. Or well, now maybe when people hear this, I've already been there. But trust me, I kicked ass. I was ready. Yeah, it's a good time. Well, you got to be in shape because it's not just the Funny Stop. You got to go to the Red Fox afterward, and you got. Right, and drink the giant airport beers in there. I love that place. The, the airport beers, uh, you know, somebody gets roofied every so often. They put new white couches in there for whatever reason. Um, 
the Red Fox is one of those bars that it tries to be a nice bar and it's not. And that's kind of why I like it. <laughs> just the <laughs> attempt. <laughs> and you get like, you just get this kind of strangest group of people in there. And uh, I remember one time I was in there and this girl, she kept walking past me, looking at me. And then she finally, after like doing that like 10 times, she comes over, she goes, I, I know who you are. She goes, but I'm not impressed. I I've seen your TV show. I, you know, but, uh, you know, just so you know about me. And she started telling me every detail about her life. Like, you know, like an ex-boyfriend had like run her over with a car and she and then she got like some kind of brain tumor or something and he has, she has wires that go from like her her brain into her chest and then she it's implanted under her chest and she actually opened her shirt and showed me you could see the wires in her chest and um so naturally i proposed <laughs> and uh we, we've been living happily ever after since but uh that's the kind of people you meet at the red fox she's not impressed with you but you're kind of impressed with her though that's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, you know, she's, she's like three wires away from being a robot. <laughs> Steve Austin. Um, yeah. You know, I, I got to say, though, what's interesting, since you've been on, you've been on stage now, what, eight, eight months again, and I saw, I, I've seen you so many times, whether it's Kent Stage, Funny Stop, or even outside of town, uh, some of the improvs or Funny Bones, and I noticed something about the, you, Dave Landau, Florentine, some of my favorite comics, Gotta say, the material got edgy and angry, like really angry after the pandemic. Like not not super like you're you know just just spouting off and screaming, but a different tone. Last week I just saw Nick DiPaolo. I was talking to him. I was talking to Tommy afterward, and I gotta say I've seen Nick a number of times. He's political. He's very right wing, but it usually doesn't translate on stage. It's just like he'll make a couple of jokes, but for the most part he'll do his material and what he thinks is funny. This time yeah. was very political, basically hoping the president, you know, falls down the stairs and dies and everything. And I've just noticed the different tone with some of these comics that had gotten affected in the last year, including yourself. And even when I saw Landau a few times, I'm like, whoa, this is a different Dave Landau that I've noticed over this. Well, yeah. Well, for me, it's not. it was not only, the you know, just not being able to perform for so long, but to, to tell you the truth, a lot of the anger is just, you know, pent up from not having sex for almost a year because you can't you know you can't meet anybody during a pandemic you know nobody you can't go up to a girl in the club and say hey you want to make out they're like what are you crazy i'm gonna you know yeah you, you are you a grandmother killer are you trying to like, why are you talking to me you know like you just there's no opportunity to meet people so um so that was there was that was a lot of my anger came from that a lot of sexual frustration so yes yeah, so i'm taking my sexual frustration out on the crowd but um, you know, now go, I've got, I've, you know, I've managed to get a little recently, so I'll, I'll be a little, be, be a little kinder and gentler to the, to the upcoming crowds. Yeah. It'll it's, still be it. <laughs> it was, it was, it was interesting because I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, whoa, this is a, this is a new Don Jameson. And I'm always the guy that I, I like, I, I've, I've enjoyed it because what you, for people who have never seen Don. He's somebody that you have such a good rhythm on stage. Like, you have that old school Tonight Show. If, if This is just my observation. Tonight Show material where it's just go, 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 mm -hmm. go. 
And the pacing is just phenomenal. Like, I always tell young comics to go sit in the back and watch you. It, not even just your material, but just the pacing of what you do. And when I'm hearing that, and then the material is just really biting. Like when I saw you in Atlantic City back in January, I'm like, all right. Well, when's, he, when's Pete booking him? I can't wait to come, go see him again. So I'll, I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing this weekend. Yeah, thank you, man. I, listen, you know, you just, you figure it out over time. You know, I mean, you, you know, you're a comic. You, you get it. It's like at one point it just clicks. And, and yeah, I, I tend to work at a quick pace. I just like that for me. That's, you know, it wasn't really a thought out thing, but I'm just kind of naturally hyper to begin with. But I want people to, like, get the jokes, obviously. I don't want to rush over everything. And, you know, in the last couple of years, I've been t telling more stories as well but i still try to keep the stories moving uh keep people engaged and interesting and i like to mix up the material you know i'm not going to do an hour about covid i mean i'm not going to bum the audience out right um so you know you're going to get a little everything you're going to get you're going to get clean you're going to get dirty and you're going to get silly you know i nothing better than doing your dirtiest joke and then following it up with your silliest cleanest joke because mm -hmm. it really keeps people guessing they're like we have no idea where this guy's gonna go next so i just shut you know what i mean that's why i said between your pace your timing and the, the choice of material you know you just want to keep people entertained you know they got a million options now of what they can do and, and people are finally not scared to go into comedy clubs which is good so we want to give them a great show you know the first time one of the first times i hung out with you was actually, you know, it came up on my uh, my Facebook about six years ago today, and it was backstage at Rock on the Range, and right. you you and Jim were doing. Uh, I think you guys were doing interviews for what Access TV, right? Because they were showing a bunch yeah. of that live, and they were taping it. So I'm back there with you guys, and uh, you come up to me and say, "Hey, Tony, uh, you want a beer?" And you took a piss in a cup. And I knew exactly what it was. He's like, hey, man, you want a beer? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I'll take a beer. And I grab it, and it's just this just warm piss that's in this cup. And uh, I'm like, well, thanks, bottoms up. And obviously I didn't drink it. And uh, you're like, next time I come to Cuyahoga Falls, I want to have you open for me. Tell Pete. And then so, you, and you know what? You did. You kept your word for it. And uh, I got to MC for you for the weekend because uh, I held a cup of your warm urine. <laughs> oh my god well well thank you again for doing that and of course i would love to work with you anytime uh but you know what man it's funny because the, you know um the comics that i hang out with are all major ball busters as you know you know whether it's florentine or zumach but the biggest one of all is obviously dice yes you know and i and i opened for dice for 10 years and dice always when he met somebody new he knew he would he would figure out if he wanted to work with you if you could handle getting your balls busted. And so that's sort of, we sort of, me and Jim sort of carry that along with people. When we meet a young comic, we like, okay, what can we do to this person? Let's see if, if they can handle it. We know they're cool and we want to work with them and they'll become friends forever, you know? Um, but yeah, so, you know, it was like with Dice when, when I first opened for him, I'm standing in the green room and he comes up and he gets an inch from my face <laughs> and he just goes, what do you do? And I go, what do you mean? What do I do? He goes, your act. What are you going to say when you go up there? I'm just like 10 minutes before I have to go on and open for Dice, a sold out <laughs> show. And I go, he goes, yeah, tell me what you're going to say. I need to know. So I'm, and I'm nervous enough as it is. So now there's Dice an inch from my face, my comedy idol, right? And he's grilling me. I'm like, uh, 
I do this thing about getting my hair cut. Okay, that's good. Do that one. All right. I do um, this thing about uh, SeaWorld, going to see. Yeah, okay, do that one. Good. And and he made me go through the whole set with him. And then by the time I got done, they were introducing me on stage. And he just wanted to see if I was going to crack under pressure. And I did. And I went out and had a great set. And uh, that was the beginning of, like I said, 10 years with him on the road. So if, if you can handle if you can handle the ball busting from the beginning, you're in you're in the club for good. You know, I saw Dice a few years ago, and honestly, I hadn't seen, like, obviously, listened to him and watched him, and, uh, you know, the day the laughter died and everything is just, it, it should be the Bible, the holy Bible for comics. If you want to you listen to an album where there's more misses than hits, but the, when they hit, they really hit, and when they miss, they still hit. It's, it's weird to say that, but doing dice at that level and putting on essentially an experimental album or like an album of b-sides essentially and have it be that iconic and that classic especially in the community but i had never seen him live because i was young i didn't have the money to go see dice because tickets were like a hundred bucks and i finally saw him and this is how he opened the show i saw him in detroit and it was a strange it was almost like a wedding venue and he goes up on stage, and he has, uh, I think Wheels was opening for him. Or uh, what is that? Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. It, and so Dice goes on stage, and, you know, certain comics, they just go up there and just, like, they hit you, and they hit you with a few jokes just to get you laugh and get ready. Dice comes on stage, he's just like, oh, fucking. <sighs> <laughs> exactly. You know this fucking guy, you see him on TV. Every day flaps his fucking gums over and over again. And I'm so fucking tired of hearing him on stage you know, everywhere. He's behind a microphone. He's on television everywhere. I'm sick of fucking tired of seeing this guy. And you and everyone in the audience, and he keeps going with this. And you think he's talking about Trump. And he's like, yeah. and that fucking Verizon guy is now with Sprint. Right. And he's making me fucking go over and change providers. What the fuck? And it's just in the, the it, like, you think that you need to really hit somebody at the beginning of a show. And instead, he gradually carries you with this, who is he talking about here? And nailed you. And then after that, it was just, it was a great, and then he ends with the nursery rhymes and everything. But it was an amazing show. It was nothing I'd ever seen. And this is a man now in his 60s. This isn't 30-year-old Dice on the Young Comedian special. This is 60-year-old Dice, who is now, he went from being, you know, uh, being Andrew to Dice. He is officially Dice right now. Well, he's the only guy in the world, I guarantee, who's that dri his driver's license picture, he has a cigarette now. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy at DMV obviously knew who he was, and he let him take, he goes, and I was this close to uh, making him put, type Dice on instead of my real name on the license. So, uh, yeah, Dice is a he's he's an amazing guy. And you know, it's funny what how you picked up on that because you're a comic. You know, we're comic. We want to get to the mic and get that first joke out so we can take a deep breath finally. You know, because it's nerve wracking. You know, before the show, you 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 know, you're fidgety, you're pacing, you're waiting to go on, you're trying to stay relaxed, but you know, there's a certain anxiety level to what we do. Um, but then you get on stage and you get your first joke out and you go, okay, I'm, I feel good now. And especially when you open for a guy like Dice, because his, he still has those old school crowds sometimes. 
So when we would play, especially theaters where they had the huge stages, like as they're introducing me, I'm I'm literally running to I'm sprinting to the microphone, and in the and I could hear Dice uh, off in the wings howling, laughing because I'm running to the mic because he doesn't he has not a care in the world, right? And I get to the mic, and then afterwards he's like, "You why do you run to the mic?" I go, I go. You don't have to open for you. I do. If I don't get to that mic before somebody in the crowd yells out, you effing suck, uh, it's over for me. I got to get there and get that joke out. And then when he does his delayed thing at the beginning, especially when I toured with him, he would would see how long he could take before he would say one word just to make me nuts because he knew it would make me crazy that he would take like two minutes without saying a word. He'd take a sip of water, adjust his jacket. <laughs> He'd move the stool like one inch over. And it's like it breaks every rule of comedy, but he's dice. He can do that. And you've done a number of these festivals, these rock festivals, and you want to talk about a crowd that does not want to see a comic right now. Just like a dice crowd, they want to go there and they want to see Andrew Dice Clay. They don't want to see some asshole on stage. And every so often, now, if you have somebody like, for example, a Louis C.K., who's, who's gone back on the road the last couple of years, and you see some really good comics that he's taking on the road before him. So not only are you seeing Louis, but you're getting a, a Kevin Brennan, for example, a, a Lynn Coplitz, a Tony Woods. So you're going, okay, then I'll, I'll be all warmed up for when Louis comes up there. But then when you're going on stage before Dice and that crowd, and I don't care how old the crowd is right now because the the crowd aged with Dice, but they still have the mentality of Dice from 1988, yeah. is when you're in front of a rock audience, and I've, God, I've seen, they don't do it as much with musicians anymore where they're, uh, they're having a comic open for like Barry Manilow or Air Supply or something like that, but I can't even imagine at a metal show that you're going to be up there telling 15 to 20 minutes of dick jokes before Slipknot goes on stage. Are you kidding me? Well, you do have to make you have to have the right pairing. Yeah, I, I don't. I know the guys in Slipknot; they're all friends. But uh, I would have probably have to politely decline if they asked me, because you know their stage show is like watching the end of the world live. You know, oh, yeah. you, you don't have a comedian open up, the, you know, for the gates of hell. It's it's Cirque uh, du Soleil meets Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah, so, but, you know, when I go out with, like, you know, the party bands, like Faster Pussycat and Twisted Sister and, you know. Steel Panther. Bands like that. Who? Steel Panther. Yeah, Steel bands like that. You know, it, it is a good combination, you know. And I think people, do, you know, I do a whole set of just 30 minutes of just material about music, bands, you know, all that, you know, the music of that era. Um, I'll do a smaller version of that in the comedy clubs because, you know. I could go a lot deeper with the rock audience, but I just go out there and, you know, and, and I try to give a performance like I'm an opening band, you know, just like boom, again, boom, that pace again, Tony, boom, 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 but even a little quicker and more intense than I do in comedy clubs. And it's funny, the last time I played at the Funny Stop, I had just come off a month tour uh, with this band called Nashville Pussy. And, you know, we had done like 28 shows in 30 days. So I was in that rock club rhythm and uh and i got to the funny stop and i realized like about five minutes into my set i had to go you know quietly in my brain i had to go don slow down calm we're about a half hour into the show oh shit i'm four minutes (laughs) yeah i've already i've already done an hour of material We're, we're five minutes in and it's like you know 
these are nice people. They've had a reasonable amount of drinks. They're here for comedy. And then, you know, and then I just readjust. But I love doing the rock stuff, man. Those are my people. And, you know, a lot of people remember me from that metal show. So at least it's, it's not completely out of left field. No, no, not at all. And uh, honestly, a metal audience, even though, you know, they've been drinking all day, but it depends on who you are and it depends on if, if you're recognizable. So if I went on stage, if I was at... Uh, louder than life, or if I were at Riot Fest or some of these other uh, big venues, and I go up there and go, all right, let's see, what am I? I got some material on this. So you guys, happy to be here. No, boot off stage immediately, and I will not recover from it. So you got to know what you're getting yourself into. So that's why you guys like you and Florentine, uh, Norton has done these, Brian Posehn, um, uh, you guys know how to do that because you know the audience because now because you're the audience too. Because you think to yourself, okay, if I am a com- if I'm just an audience member and I'm seeing a comic, and if I have to stomach a comic before I start throwing a you know <laughs> throwing a bottle of piss on stage and knocking a comic <laughs> off, what am I going to do to where I'm going to start really laughing and really enjoying this? Yeah, that's the key, man. Is that if you if you get if you can get them going right at the beginning, they kind of forget like, oh yeah, this is weird, a comedian opening for a band. So that's all you could do, man. I mean, it, it's. It's just become something I've gotten used to doing over the years. It, it, it was it was the coolest thing ever back, like in the late '80s. You know, look at Dice again. You know, Dice opened for Guns and Roses in front of a hundred thousand people at the Rose Bowl in Los Angeles. You know, Kinnison was a the rock and roll comic. You know, with the Wild Thing video with Slash and all the Sunset Strip guys, and and uh, even Bobcat Goldthwait used to go out. I think he opened for Nirvana's first tour in America. So, you know, there was a time where, you know, rock and roll and comics was super cool. And then it was super not cool for a really long time. And uh, so I'm kind of happy to be part of that small family of guys, you know, who are bringing that back. You know, like a couple years ago, I was on the road with this band, Pop Evil. And at the same time, Jim Brewer was out with Metallica and Dean Del Rey out of Los Angeles was out with Alice in Chains. So it was just like, we had our own, you know, our little, our three little, you know, rock and roll comics all out on the road together at the same time, man. I was really proud. I think, I was wondering that too, because yeah, there were a lot of the comics, especially coming out of, you know, where you mentioned about uh, some of those rock and roll type comics in the 80s, because they were stage acts and they would, they would have a band that toured with them. And I'm like you said about Kinnison doing Wild Thing and, rolling around with Jessica Hahn on the floor. And yeah. it really was, it was a nice marriage that went away. Was that more of the music uh, that it's just the musical direction of it, you think? Or was that kind of a, maybe the musicians, uh, they had to pick and choose their comics and the comics may not have been PC enough for their audience and that they're trying to say they're artists too and they don't look at comedy in a certain way. Like what, why do you think that went away? Yeah, I think I think it was like the seriousness of the grunge movement where it was sort of like, you know, I mean, how are you going to go out and entertain an audience full of people that are on opiates? You know, it's it's tough. So, um, yeah, that music, you know, it was the anti sort of rock star um, music movement. I like a lot of the music from them, you know, still to this day, you know, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam, you know, those are just great rock bands. But, you know, back in the grunge days, yeah, it was they wanted to do anything that wasn't like the hair metal, you know, the party metal of the late 80s, early 90s. So, yeah, so it just it went away for a while. And, you know, everything comes back again eventually. So, uh, 
you know, um, and, and a lot of those bands in the late '80s, you know, they waited it out and they've come back now and they're they're touring again. So. Yeah, God bless. Yeah, right down the street uh, from where I'm broadcasting or I'm doing this from is uh, the hometown of Janie Lane. And the one thing that's interesting about, uh, I always thought about Warrant, was Warrant hit right before grunge. And it was kind of like they were the last band to really pop. And like you're talking about Bobby Brown and and the Cherry Pie video is like 1990, Uncle Tom's Cabin, and then Smells Like Teen Spirit. And then a lot of those guys that they just, you know, got bands like Extreme that they just uh, Nelson was another one of those bands that they're like, oh no, we're gonna ride this wave of hair metal. Wait, what? What? What is this Nirvana band? And things just really kind of change. But then this '80s nostalgia came back, and that's where that metal show really hit for you guys. Was that you guys rode that wave of? Hey, the '80s weren't so bad after all. You know, any, anything from the Rick Springfield days to. Uh, Rob Halford and Judas Priest, that the, these bands kind of really had that nice resurgence where you were seeing Def Leppard and Journey and all them going on tours in like 2005, 06. And ever since then, this wave of nostalgia from the 80s has really carried you guys up until, well, obviously, until everything kind of got shut down last year. Yeah, and now, you know, that that big, you know, the, the big Motley Crue, uh, Def Leppard, Poison tour that was, you know, the state big stadium tour just got push back again to 2022 yep i just saw uh, it yeah with uh, joan jett on there as well yeah and i was i was texting with uh ricky rocket from poison last night name dropper and um i i'd be more <laughs> impressed like, if it was cc deville though <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the poison guys man i'll tell you no matter what you think about those guys man it you know you always had to have a couple poison albums in your collection when you when you were a teenager because you couldn't have a girl over to your house and play like iron maiden and stuff you know they just weren't going to make out with you to to rothschild or murders in the room morgue so you had to have a poison album laying around um but yeah those guys are bummed out man you know that's a huge tour uh, but yeah look at that there's that tour was, is selling out stadiums when it when it finally happens i hope and uh and by the way i was the one that called motley crew coming out of retirement when Nick Mars did that metal show, I said right to his face, I go, you'll be back. He goes, we will not be back. I go, I go, I know you think you won't be back, but you'll be back. He goes, all right, I'll make you, I'm going to say this right here on your show. If we ever come back for any reason, free tickets for the world. <laughs> and I put that clip out when they, when they announced that they were coming back out of retirement and Mick, they got so many tweets and messages from fans all over. I mean, people going, hey, Mick, how do I get my free tickets in Japan? Hey, Mick, how do I get my free tickets in Australia? Like people from all over the world went crazy. So he had actually had to put out a statement saying, all right, clearly I was kidding around in that clip from that metal show. <laughs> but So I can't give you guys free tickets, but I hope you'll come see the tour. And uh, so, yeah, now that's not going to happen until next year, but uh, that'll be good. Was that, was that before, was that when they were doing the Crew Fest? Um, well, it was, it was, the it, yeah, it was when they, no, it was right before the final tour, Mick Mars came okay. on that metal show and that was it. Cause they, they made that big production of like how they signed a contract, you know, saying they'll never tour again. Otherwise they could all be sued. But you know, this, that's like WWE stuff, you know, it's like, that's a WWE contract. Yeah. How many, know? how many tours did the who have where there's their fair, oh, we're doing our farewell tour in 1982. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're still touring. <laughs> 
Right. So if you explode the contract up with with a stick of dynamite, then you know, like it was just a, a whole like wrestling kind of thing when they came out of retirement. But and God bless, man. You know, I I love to see those guys tour again, man. Um, you know, whenever you go to shows like that, Motley or Poison or whatever, you always run into girls that that you banged like 25 years before <laughs> when you went to see Poison or Motley for the first time. And then they're there, and you're like, ah, they still look pretty good. But then they have a young daughter, so you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, it runs in the family. I, I, I saw Poison. Oh God, how many years ago? I think I actually saw Motley Crue and Poison the same year, maybe in the same week. And it was Crue Fest. It was Motley Crue, uh, 6 a.m. Buck Cherry, Papa Roach, and then the Poison show was Poison, Sebastian Bach, not with Skid Row and Dokken. And it was like, and you go there, we're talking 2008, so this is when the nostalgia craze is really going up, and I'm seeing the, the hairstyles and the, you know, the, the acid wash jeans. I'm like, uh, you're, you're in your mid-40s. I don't know if you can pull that off anymore, but God bless you. God bless you at that point. My, 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 my haircut is always two weeks away from being a mullet, so I'm, <laughs> I'm always ready when concert season starts. God, I, I miss him so much. I, I will say, though, it was nice seeing, because uh, my you know, my wife now, she's a big country fan, and she's taken me to these country shows. And, you know, I go for the drinking, a lot of the tailgating in the parking lot, the hot chicks, especially the hot chicks in the parking lot where they have their boyfriend's truck and they have to take a piss. So they're, they open the door, and it's like, oh, no one's going to see me squat over. So I see their twat and asshole just, <laughs> just right by the, the Dodge truck. I'm like, oh, all right, well, I'm fine with this. But then like, the letdown is when I actually go see the concert because it's – I always say this about country shows. They're just lame rock shows. They're just almost right. like one step above a, an acoustic show, like I'm going to see uh, – like. Ed Kowalczyk from Live or something, where right, I like but Live, but I don't want to see the, the acoustic show. And it's just the country, was, it's like, man, this could be so much better with you know, louder bass and uh, a couple of extra drums, maybe an extra bass drum. And yeah, this could be a lot better. And there's really nothing like going to a rock show. Yeah. But, you know, but if you're, if you're you know, a 12-pack in, yeah, you, you can still find a way to have fun. We, yeah, and we did. You know, we were supposed to see Alabama one year, and they had to change it to some other country act. I'm like, eh, whatever. But then you go to, you really go to the, um, the some of these rock shows, and Slipknot is still my favorite live show I've ever seen. And it was actually oh, yeah. that weekend I met you was uh, back in 2015. I had never seen Slipknot. I've seen Stone Sour a few times, but I had never seen Slipknot. And it was, I actually did this for, so the concert's mid-May, and from January up until mid-May, I decided to go to the gym. I bulked up only be, because so I can go in the mosh pit. And I, the only reason I did that is I saw Five Finger Death Punch the year before, and I got knocked on my ass during, <laughs> during one of the, uh, the mosh pits. And I said, if I'm going to do this again next year, I need to get in shape for it. And I was in shape, and after I got done with that concert, I'm like, the diet starts today. That's what it was. It, you got yeah, you got to be in concert shape. I think we're not going to be in concert shape when we go back in uh, in those days. Although I'm starting to get to that age where I probably shouldn't be going into mosh pits or crowd surfing or doing any of that stuff anymore. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Tony. I knew it was over for me. I, I think I was in my even my late 30s, and I was we were at an Ozfest and um, Hatebreed playing, and you know those guys. Jake just had they have the most brutal mosh pit and circle pits ever. 
And I just, I, did, I, and I was with Florentine. I go, I, I was just, yeah, I was caught up in the moment. I'm like, I'm going in. And I, I got into the uh, mosh circle and within five seconds, a 14 year old girl knocked me over and broke my sunglasses. <laughs> I said, that's it. I'm never doing that again. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's it. Well, you mentioned Florentine. I wanted to ask you that because I think I asked him on, when I had him on the podcast, but how did you meet Jim? Uh, it was a rub a tug, rub and tug on Route 35 in in Jersey. Uh, no, it was. Uh, <laughs> we met. I think we met at a Christmas party at this comedy club in the city, Caroline's. And it's like we both had long hair. We we're both into metal. You know, this was uh, during the Jam and Jim days, right? Yeah, I think he was still Jam and Jim. Yeah, and a mutual friend was like telling him, you know, you got to meet this guy. He's just like you. And then he was telling me the same thing. And yeah, we met, and it was like, okay, yeah, you, this guy's in the metal. This guy's he's got long hair. We both, you know, I think we were both going through a stripper phase at the time. So <laughs> we we became friends very quickly, and uh, yeah, and then we started go, doing gigs together, and then that's how we and we would listen to Eddie Trunk's radio show, man. So that's how it it all, you know, one thing led to another. You know, Jim and I became you know buddies on the road doing comedy, and then and then we'd listen to. Eddie Trunk show, and then you know we finally met Eddie, and then that metal show happens, and so yeah, it's been a, it's been, a, but but yeah, Florentine, you know, he's 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 the brother I never had, man. He really he's the real deal, and those comics because I've as I've gathered, you guys were all influenced by Dice, and that's where it was really just in the blood. And then at the beginning of doing comedy, everyone's trying to do like my generation of comics. We're doing variations of Louie and Attell jokes to start. It's just like you can tell when you're on stage. You say, okay, yeah, I could, I could tell you you listen to Skanks for the Memories 250 times, um, <laughs> which is great. It's just to this day. And then you get better as time goes on. And I think a lot of those comics, especially if you were in New York, the, the um, in Jersey is the, the Dice mentality. But I think being having that shared fanhood of somebody like Dice and Kinnison and some of those comics coming out of the 80s really was a nice kinship and a friendship for a lot of guys coming together, and especially doing comedy and doing The Road and, and looking up to guys like Levy. I mean, God, my God, the Bob Levy. Do you have any Bob Levy stories? And- we, we, we could do a whole podcast about Bob <laughs> Levy. So. I just saw him the other night, man. He's doing really good, man. Um, he's great. He was great on stage. and But that was the thing. Like that was I got lucky, Tony. Man. I, I, I got to say, man, when I, when I came up, I came up right after the comedy boom. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. you could not have come up at a worse time. Like it, when comedy was basically at its lowest, you know, like. So you were like, warrant. You got into comedy when yeah. warrant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the warrant of comedy because because like a year before that, you know, comics were making, you know, a thousand dollars a show. You know, when I came, when I got in, you were making seventy five dollars a show. So but the scene was cool, man. Guys like Levy, Florentine, Jim Norton, Rich Voss, like all the Jersey comics all helped each other. Like nobody was nobody was jealous. I mean, there's always friendly competition, of course. But, you know, like if Jim got something, he go, I, I think I'm in I got into this club. I'll let me do it once and I'll get you in. And then vice versa, you know, and so we would all do that for each other because we knew there's enough room for all of us. And that was, you know, that was something Jim really helped. You know, he taught me that early on. Don't worry about anybody else. Just do what you do. Doesn't matter what anybody else does. 
just focus on what you do. And that, you know, it's, it's simple advice, but it, man, it really helped me not waste a lot of time because when you, when I started working in the city, you know, there'd be auditions for Letterman and SNL and all this stuff. And it was just like, you know, I'm like, oh man, I got to get on that SNL thing. And then it'd be like, why? You don't do characters. You're not political. <laughs> you don't do impressions. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, you're right. Yeah. I don't want to, why waste time going down a road where that's not going to lead to anything. Um, and, you know, but but back then there was only a few outlets for comics. You know, you either did the late night shows or SNL. Now there's, you know, now you can find your niche anywhere. You could do your own podcast. You know, we did that metal show. Like, there's a million things comics can do now. So, you know, that's that's the good thing. But back then you were just sort of like, oh, well, I got to get one of these shows or I'm never going to make it. Um, but every, like I said, all the comics, man, they were supportive. And I'll put those group of guys that I just mentioned up against comics anywhere in this country, man. And they, they, they stack up against the best of the best. Oh, yeah. And it, the really helpful in that scene, especially when you get guys like Otto and Levy who couldn't drive. <laughs> because I, I don't think I, Otto never drove and Levy was just too drunk to drive. Well, well they could drive before the show. Yes. To get to the show, they could drive. <laughs> Getting home was different. So it was it was perfect. So that's where Norton was like, oh, no, the, I can work with Levy because I got to drive him home afterward. And um, and <laughs> Otto of Otto and George. And uh, uh, you, you got to tell the story because you were telling me when we were in Atlantic City after the show, the, the Otto story at the Cleveland Improv is just one. It's one of my favorite stories that, <laughs> that anyone has told that you tell. Well, it's a it's the variation on um, on Otto's old story about, you know, when he was for people who are listening, who don't know Otto and George, you know, they were they were billed as a, a, an X rated uh, ventriloquist act. And and he def and Otto definitely did a lot of uh, racial stuff in his act through the puppet, of course. <laughs> the puppet character. was the bad guy. Yeah, George the puppet was the bad guy. But there was the old story when he was he was picking he was performing in Central Park. He put the hat out, and you know crowds would gather around. And and the puppet George was making fun of this Puerto Rican guy. And he and and the guy got so mad he came up and he actually stabbed the puppet. <laughs> not Otto, not the not the guy doing the actual voice. He was so, and that was the magic that Otto had with that puppet is he can make you think that this block of wood carved into the shape of a small man was the person actually saying it. So now we cut to the Cleveland Improv and he's on stage and um, me and Joe Howard, who opened around the lobby setting up our merch, all of a sudden, poof, the, the, the doors fling open and this party of like eight African-American people came storming out and this with this woman leading the charge. And she walks up to the table. She comes up to Joe Howard. She's like, you was funny. She looks at me. You was funny. But that puppet, he's a racist. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is Otto wasn't like a he wasn't a great ventriloquist. He, right, like, that's the other thing. He, you can see his lips his lips move more than a puppet. His lips were moving. His voice wasn't too different from Otto's voice. Like he yeah. wasn't doing like he wasn't doing like a, a what Jeff Dunham does, where it's like oh all the he, this one's Puerto Rican and this one's this. It's like no, it's just a high pitched Otto voice, but it was yeah. great. <laughs> Yeah, but he, I tell you, he did. He just had whatever that was. He had that magic of, of making you 
fixate on first you know the puppet was people again people could look it up but the puppet was so creepy looking so he could really get you to focus on the puppet and really it, it really you know it really blew people's minds out you know they like some people just couldn't handle it but yeah they always they never got mad at Otto they always got mad at the puppet did you ever were you ever in the audience for others where you would just sit in the back cuz I know with Otto and I've talked to several people and I've only, I only got to see Otto once but the where you would sit in the back and just watch people leave like he would just walk tables have you got a chance to see that Oh yeah yeah that that used to happen you know listen he I every time I saw the guy he he murdered I mean he would really kill um especially in the early days when, when I was first doing comedy. And I used to drive him around sometimes too. But yeah, then there'd be the, those nights where, listen, the crowd just didn't get him, you know, and you could just tell, oh boy, this is going to be a long headlining set. And yeah, people would uh, stream. But I would, you know what else would be funny? Like I'd see like people on dates and the woman would storm out like halfway through the show and the guys, the guys would stay. They, they, <laughs> And the woman would be standing there waiting for him to get up and leave with her, and then they would go, no, no, I'm staying. This guy is amazing. So I think he used to break couples up. <laughs> the, the, the best part, there's a clip online of him at the Porn Awards uh, hosted by, I think, Bobby Slayton was the host, and it was, like, from the yeah. mid-'90s. And he's he's at the Porn Awards performing. He, I think he's only doing, like, 10 minutes and then uh, introing something. And you just see in the crowd – that the porn girls that are there. I mean, you're you're taking the ass. You're you're getting gang banged, and you're offended by a Jewish guy from Brooklyn or from Long Island or wherever Otto was from is just telling dick jokes with this puppet. You're offended by that, and but yeah. then at the same time you're watching people in the uh, guys in the audience are falling down laughing. So he was one of those where there wasn't a, there wasn't much middle ground of someone at a comedy show going Haha, that's kind of funny no you're either laughing hysterically or you want to leave in fact i think in that robert goulet's in the audience and he's he's about to fall i think his wig <laughs> fell off i'm not sure how that happened yeah well that was the thing with yeah otto it's like you know every everybody in the audience was a target for that puppet if he could see you he could pick you out and work everybody in the room and uh but he was, listen, you know, he was one of those guys, and we all know him, the comics comics, who, when they go on stage, all the comics come into the room and watch, because he, he never knew what he was going to say. Uh, you never knew what the audience reaction was going to be. And, you know, Otto was, Otto was way, he was, he was born too late. Like, he should have been, like, born during the vaudeville times. You know, he always loved that old-timey show business stuff. Um, but, yeah, God bless, man, and... Uh, Man, we lo we lost him way too soon. I mean, the guy f configured his dummy to do a JFK assassination <laughs> reenactment. <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, his biggest fan was uh, David Copperfield. Mm -hmm. He's you at know, the he museum, right? Well, he performed at, um, Otto and George performed at David Copperfield's uh, engagement party to Claudia Schiffer. And then, um, yeah, David bought the original George puppet. And he has like a whole wing of his house that's all original ventriloquist dummies, like from the early days and and stuff. And George is in there. And then in return, he made Otto a new George puppet. And another time when I was at the Cleveland Improv with Florentine, Coverdale uh, Copperfield was was playing in town, and one of his guys called over and said, "Hey, is there a late show? You know, um, for the comedy." 
because uh, I'm with David Copperfield. We like to come down. So he came down to the show, and we all hung out in the office afterwards. And what did we what did we talk about for for an hour? Otto and George. Oh yeah, that was you know got- with David Copperfield. You know, probably the most famous mag- magician in the world. Uh, and it was amazing. That was our common ground. Otto and George. One of the classic stories was uh, when we were trying to get him at the Funny Stop. So one thing about the Funny Stop that's – I've only been performing there for – I've been going there almost since it opened, but I've been performing there about, what, eight years now. And in the early days after the old club burned down, they moved to the new club, which has been there about 15 years, and it's between a – which we all joke about. It's between a Dollar General and there's a Goodwill – down the street from the one of the last remaining Arthur Treachers. Yeah. And it so in those days, Pete's booking a lot of these, like, I don't know if you've seen the Jim Norton character, Doug Bell, that he's been doing, which Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's this it's this old road warrior comic that had his own show at one time and everything. And he, I don't know who Norton's impersonating, but it's half the I, comics. I think it sounds like me. <laughs> I don't know who Norton's impersonating here, but it sounds like half the comics Pete used to book at the Funny Stop, where yeah, they, yeah. they all have that, that picture on the wall of like this 80s backdrop with the skinny tie. And so Pete was going through that process of booking a lot of those acts, and it's just how many times are you going to go see the grandmother from hell and you know, rock and roll magician or something? And it's like, we need to start booking big, bigger acts. So I think it was Voss. Might have been Voss, or might have been uh, might have been Jim, uh, Florentine uh, gave Pete Otto's number to book him there because I guess probably after that improv incident they weren't booking him at the improv anymore. Yeah. And the improv st- <laughs> and Funny Bones started going with more urban audiences, so they're like, okay, well Otto's not going to play at, uh, at a hilarities in Cleveland, but eh, well, let's try to get him at the Funny Stop. So Pete, with this thick Lebanese accent, calls up Otto and goes. Hello, this Otto Peterson. This, this is Pete from Funny Stop in Cuyahoga Falls. And Otto just like is, is like, who is this? Who the fuck are you? And thinks that somebody's just pranking him. Like it's, it's Florentine, you were Florentine calling him. And he's like, yeah. he's like, how'd you get this number? Get the fuck off. And hangs up on him. And then Pete's now pissed off. Because he doesn't yeah. understand. So he calls up, nobody fucking hang up on me. You'll never get back booked to my fucking club again. And he never got booked, and he died. Just like, ah, oh, it's it's a great story, but it's not a great story. Well, but but once you like, if Pete likes you, the one thing is, even if he gets mad at you, but if he he got he's got to know you first. But if he likes you, and but he gets mad at you, he always forgives. Oh yeah, you know, he really is a sweet guy underneath it. Because I remember him telling me he uh, he got really mad at Paulie Shore once. He was like. <laughs> Fucking Paulie Shore to come here. He fucked three waitresses. He jipped <laughs> me on the money. Tell he makes me give him twice as much. He fucked up the condo. He then made me put him in hotel. And I and I'm so, I'm so angry with him. And I go, so what ended up happening? I book him again in March. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm waiting for him to go. I'll never use him again. I think I book him in March. Well, he he still is not forgiving the Gallagher story about booking Gallagher, uh, which was a d- complete disaster. Uh, has he told you the Gallagher story? No. So the first and only time Gallagher was ever at the Funny Stop was um, several years ago, and I'm at you know I'm at the place where I'm I'm doing comedy there uh, for a couple of years by that point, and I'm like I got to see this. 
I just I, I have to see. Yeah. Is he going to be one of these guys? Is he still going to smash watermelons on stage and everything? I mean, the guys. Well, I would just a, have to, I would just have to see him to, to just to prove that he, that he's still in my death pool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, guy, I can't believe that guy's still alive. So my buddy's like, what, what show do you want to go to? And if you're a comic, you have to say, I got to see the Late Show because I got to yeah. see how this is. So Pete's Late Shows at the time were, I think it was eight o'clock and ten thirty. So we get there. Eh, we were going to go stop in, have a couple of drinks. And because I'm a comic, I get in free. Pete charged me. So that was red flag number one. He charged me 25 bucks to see Gallagher. I'm like, Pete, I, I work at this club. And he's like, I, he, he take door deal. I need the, uh, I'm like, all right. So he's taking a door deal. So, all right, here's 25. I'll pay for my food and everything. And, um, but the show, so the, the eight o'clock show didn't end until 1030. Say, so, okay, that's another bad sign. And we're waiting and waiting, and they finally start the show. Now, for people who've been to comedy shows, you have an MC does 10 minutes. Maybe there's a guest set, maybe not. If it's a big act, it's 10 minutes. Feature does 15 to 20, depending on how long. And then headliner does 45 to an hour. MC comes out on stage. Now, an hour late, he comes out and goes, Hi, everybody, I'm so-and-so. Uh, welcome to the show. You guys ready for your first act? Okay, well, that's interesting. First act comes right up. Hi, I'm uh, I'm your first act tonight. Uh, good to see you. Uh, some weather we're having. He does four and a half minutes. Now let's bring <laughs> up Gallagher. And Gallagher goes on stage. He's on stage for two hours and 45 minutes. Oh, my God. He doesn't start smashing fruit. And he didn't do the watermelon because the watermelon's too too thick for him at this age. And he's got a bad ticker. So he's got like pies and he's got some, you know, maybe some strawberries and everything. He's got flour. He doesn't start the smashing until two and a half hours into it. And the whole time he's doing old like borscht belt jokes of, uh, you know, almost like knock knock jokes. And then periodically through the thing, he's hacking. And it's just not like, <coughs> it's, <coughs> I'm like, he's going to die tonight. He's going to die. We're going to see Gallagher drop dead. And this is a guy that's that he's had. 25 bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My 25 bucks. I got to see somebody die. I've seen a lot of die people die on stage, but I didn't see a literal one yet. Yeah. <laughs> so he, so finally afterward, we get done the show. He's Pete's now telling him to get off the stage. He's like, we, like for about, I think, an hour into the show, I already paid my tab. And he's like, get the fuck off stage, Gallagher. Get the get the off. And he's like, I'll stay on stage and I'll pay for everyone's drinks in here. And Pete's like, okay. So he stays on stage. So I so I said, if I get a DUI on the way home, officer, you're never going to believe this. It's gonna be it's Gallagher. And um, so we get done, and uh, you know, I, I I got a picture with him. He took my shirt off, so we're both shirtless in this picture with Gallagher. So the next day. <laughs> He's he goes into the kitchen and starts berating Pete's kids because he's like, what do you, what do you have there? What is that? And his kids like uh, uh, this chicken fingers. He's like, you're serving death to people. What? And then like somebody heckled during the first show and he walked off the stage and wouldn't would refuse to perform. So that's the only anytime you ask Pete, if is there anyone you will not book at the funny stop? He'll say Gallagher and he'll tell you that exact story. Oh, God. What a nightmare. And you still have the photo? I still have the photo. I still have, uh, yeah, I, 
I don't know. It's, Him with uh, the shirt off must be grotesque. Yeah, it really, he looked like if you put mashed potatoes in a tube sock. <laughs> Pot belly. Was there ever any nightmare gigs that you had to deal with like that? Oh, man. You, oh, God. Well, you know, you just, like, whenever I hear a comics doing those those marathon shows of, like, two-plus hours, man, I just always go, look, like, you know, my hero's dice, you know. But even, and, and Dice is, you know, Dice is usually good. Dice will do about an hour, you know, maybe an hour 15 if he's really cooking, you know. And for me, even watching Dice, like, as much as I, I worship him, that's about, that's about it. That's about where you're like, yeah, that was perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need any more than that. So when you hear about the, you know, Eddie Griffins and the Mencias and these guys doing two, you know, Ralphie May when he was alive, do three-hour shows and be like, Oh my God, like what a nightmare. Wouldn't you, you know, don't you want to save a little bit? You know, isn't this, I think there's something to be said for, you know, leave them want, wanting more. Um, and I found out early on in headlining, man, um, I was doing this club down in Baltimore and I had forgotten, I had an intro music on the CD and, and I forgot it in the DJ booth in the room. And now, you know, the shows are all over and the wait staff is with the club owner and they're counting their money out and they're turning in their tickets. I snuck back in the room and it was dark. And so I went up in the DJ booth. They didn't see me come in, but I could hear them talking. And all the waitresses were going, oh, you know, you know, oh my God, you got to have this guy, Don Jameson, back here, man. The guy is, he's a machine. He does 45 minutes on the nose every single night. He, you, you could set a clock by this guy. And, and, they go, and then, you know, one of the other ones like, yeah, like, we won't have to pay an extra hour for the babysitter. And then the other one's like, yeah, now me and my husband could go out a little bit tonight and get out. And like, everyone has fucking lives to live. You know, they don't want, they don't want to see some comic, you know, up on stage, you know, who's been up for three days doing Coke, you know, doing their three hour special up there. So yeah, I, I just, I don't care how funny you are, man. Same with music. It's like Springsteen does three and a half hour shows. It's like, give me the best 90 minutes and let's go home. I, you know, I, I don't got all night for this. Yeah, that happened at uh, one of the Rock on the Ranges uh, because it was, you know, you when you play a festival, you're playing an abbreviated set. You're seeing the people who are there are really not going to necessarily see you. They're going to see bands, and it's like, oh, hey, that's cool. We're seeing so-and-so. So you're not going to get a full set from Slipknot. You're not going to get a full tool set or some of these others. But Guns N' Roses I saw, and they played for three-plus hours. Now, I, I, I like Guns N' Roses, but they have three albums. Yeah. They, they have three <laughs> albums plus covers, but... And they're not playing any Chinese democracy, but I think they did a couple just because they extended the show. Now, this is before Slash rejoined um, and uh, Tommy Stinson and everybody, but um, it was, yeah, it was a three-hour show. And I heard all these Axel stories like, oh, he was three hours late. Oh, he's two hours late. He was two minutes early. Supposed to start at 9.30, start at 9.28. And they played well until about 12.30 in the morning. And it was just like one of those, like, look, I like Guns N' Roses, but I don't like them that much. I'm, I'm going to head out. I don't need to hear Paradise City right now. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah, and they, and then, of course, they save that. You know, if you want to hear that song, you got to wait till the end. It's like, that's their watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of, my other, at the end. One, one of my other nightmare gigs I did a few years ago, and it was uh, doing a show with Ron Jeremy. And, Ooh. oof. Oof. Who fancies himself, you know, like an elite comic. 
Oh yeah, it's it, well. It, anytime I had said, "Hey, I'm doing the show on Mar- uh, May 4th," it's with Ron Jeremy, and every single person says, "Wait, he does comedy," and then my answer to it afterwards is, "Not well." You know it's a bad show when you're at, we're at a rock club, so it was a one-nighter. You know you're at a bad show when he goes up first. <laughs> it was it, it was basically it was like if they wanted to bill it as a showcase of a couple of comics, then it was the the, the MC comes out on stage and goes, "How's it going everybody? You guys ready for Ron Jeremy?" And everyone's like, yeah, well, here he is. And he goes out, and people are going crazy, and they can't wait. Everyone's wearing a black T-shirt, and they can't wait to get their picture with him afterward. And he has a little harmonica, and he's, like, doing, like, old Jewish, uh, you know, jingles from the 50s and telling jokes that were, you know, a couple people laughed, and then a few more laughed, and then nobody started laughing and was just bombing immediately because the feeling of, oh, I'm seeing Ron Jeremy went away after two attempts at jokes. And then that was one of those where I, I, I'm not doing comedy. Like, I'm not a 30-year veteran in comedy, so I got to do anything I can to save the show because people are, are wanting their money back. It's so bad. It's just there were a few comics on the bill and one bombed after another. And I'm just like, you know what? I got to do it. And I, I, th- I thought I went in my book of Jackie Martling street jokes and just started telling, doing my material, Jackie Martling street joke, my material, Jackie joke. And that's what it was. And it's, it saved the show. And like, oh, do you want to stick around? Nope. I got my picture with Ron. I got an autograph and I'm out. I'm out the door. I'm not staying for the rest of the show. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to follow Ron Jeremy on a comedy stage, you know, or in a threesome. Oh Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to say I opened for Ron Jeremy, but I have to qualify that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, there's so, that's the thing when you're a comic too, man. You talk about nightmare gigs. It's like some nights, man. You know, it's whatever the situation is. Yours was the Ron Jeremy, but you like you start. You have to dig down deep, like you where you go. I gotta, I gotta pull something out of my ass here. I have no idea how I'm gonna do this. And you, and then what happens is you just take a chance and you got to go for it. Um, I played at Sturgis a couple times mm. in front of those biker crowds, man. And what they do is like if they, it's a weird thing. Like if they, um, if they like a band, when the band gets done with a song, they rev up their motorcycles. That <laughs> lets you know they like you. But if they don't like you, they rev up while you're playing. <laughs> so. Now here I got to go up and you know and I was out on the road with Faster Pussycat at the time so so now and now all the bikers are coming up you know there's like a foreigner cover band playing and they come up and they're revving up on the on the foreigner cover band while they're playing mm. and I'm like oh my god I mean and they were great they I mean they sounded exactly like foreigner like I was actually really enjoying them and I go, if they don't like these foreigner guys, they're going to hate me. That's oh, comic? Why? We're the comedian here? So I'm flipping out backstage, Tony. I'm going nuts. I'm like, what am I going to do here? And I kept looking out, and I see, and I saw this group of bikers pull up. And um, and the one guy, had he, this huge guy had no shirt on. He looked exactly like Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> So, so that's what I, so I just grasped onto that. And when I went, when I went up, I just went right for the biggest biker I could find. And I go, 
I go, hey, listen, let me just say right now, Stone Cold Steve Austin, don't even try to rev up on me while I'm up here because I'll come down there and put you in the Stone Cold Stunner, you know, and I'm going into this whole wrestling rant. And he's got his arms folded on his chest, not a smirk, nothing. <laughs> and then he turns around and all his friends are, are rolling. They're cracking up. So he turns around and he, and then he like looks and then and then he finally and then I keep attacking him. You got a quick then smile on him. And then he started cracking and fuck next thing you know, and I had him. They liked me, you know, because I just went for it. Now that could have went a whole other way. Yeah, if they if they revved up be, during your set, it could have been called the Going Deaf Comedy Jam. Well, well okay. it could, it, also, he could have he could have came up and just he said, hey, uh, me and my friends are taking you for a ride and I would never be heard from again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was the chance I took. I'm like, this guy's either going to kick my ass or or I'm going to or I'm going to crack him. You know, but either way, again, the audience will get their money's worth. What's the story? Wasn't there a recent story that I don't know if it well, actually I don't know if it was recent or if it was back in the day, but I just heard it about Levy doing the thing where he was uh he was making fun of a midget in the crowd and just was relentlessly. Do you know about the story? Uh, it sounds familiar. Where it, it sounds it, like something with Levy, yeah. It was like the whole show, he just makes fun of this midget in the front row. And then afterward, the midget comes up to him and goes like, so are you going to pay me half? And he's like, why? It's like, because you, you know, <laughs> you, your show would have been nothing without me or something. And then <laughs> I think Levy, there was something like he drop kicked him and hit the wall. I, like there's variations with every Bob <laughs> Levy story, but they're all hilarious. It's very likely. Yeah, that's, and that sounds like a, a situation Levy would get himself into. Um, yeah, this, I mean, yeah, there's so many crazy stories over the years. We, like I said, we could do a whole Bob Levy podcast, but yeah, another guy, man, from the early days, always, you know, when I had, when I had, I could do 10 minutes, but maybe I only had four minutes of material. You know, he took me on the road, man. In those early days, man, that was to get thrown into the fire like that, man. That's, you know, it's like getting thrown into the deep end of the pool when you're a kid. It's like, all right, sink or swim. You know, but you got to have somebody to do that. You know, and Bob was always that guy, man. He liked young comics, and yeah, like you said, he he, he also needed the ride. So <laughs> he he needed he needed the blue cheese as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, I told him when I saw him the other night. I said, I said, you got to bring the blue cheese back. You know, in in this hyper like politically correct time, imagine because for again for people listening who don't know Bob Levy, but he was famous for years for bringing a girl on stage, just a random audience girl, and he would find one every night in these redneck bars we would play, and he would eat blue cheese out of the crack of her ass. <laughs> now, that's a closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... <laughs> you can't follow that. Le Levy was the first guy I, I ever got to MC for back in the day, and uh, I, I think the first thing... I, I just thought of this, like, right before I went on stage, and... I asked if they had any blue cheese at the club, and they said they didn't. I said, okay, ranch will do. And I just went on stage with a bottle of ranch, and I said, I'm just going to do Bob Levy's old material in reverse. So I'd like to bring anyone on stage. <laughs> and he got a kick out of it, so I was happy with that. But uh, no, you, you guys are all, all you New York and Jersey comics. And I, I know everybody's trying to move from L.A. to Austin at this point, but uh, – Something about you, uh, you Jersey, New York comics. You just no, no matter if the city's closed or not, it's you, you guys. Just you're good guys. You're funny comics. You're, you go up against anybody in, on the planet, 
and just fantastic comics. I love having you guys make the tour through my neck of the woods, and I go to, and any chance I get to go to the East Coast and see you guys, I will. Yeah, you always do, and that's the thing. You know, you're a comic too, but you're also still a fan of comedy. And I gotta say, man, I think that's really important, man, to to stay as a, as a fan. Otherwise, you lose the joy of it, you know. And um, again, you know, though, like you said, those guys, the Vosses, the Nortons, the Florentines, you know, they're just, you know, they're just, they're relentless, you know. And I put, like I said, man, I put those guys up again. You get your best five guys and let me pick my best five guys. and I'll, I'll put them up against your guys any day. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, proud to be from that scene. And, uh, you know, that's got that relentless attitude from those guys. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you this weekend. Uh, funny stop, uh, or whenever you're listening to this, uh, but uh, uh, you got that uh, that Jameson show Tuesdays on Compound Media. And is Denim and Laughter is that the most recent album, or you you're, you had another one since then, right? No, 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 no. Denim and Laughter is um, you know it's still available, still out there. I'll have them, you know, at the Funny Stop to sell after the show. And I, I tell you, man, you know, you always worry about the material aging really quickly because you know by the time you put the album out, you've already been doing this material for a couple of years. But it's funny with b- between the pandemic and all the chaos and the violence and all the crazy stuff that's been go- and how politically correct even more we've gotten. Um, the, the material has actually become more profound in a lot of ways because the whole album really is making fun of PC culture. Yeah. Um, and it's only gotten more intense. So um, I'm, I'm psyched about that. The material still holds up and I'll be doing some of it you know, at the funny stop and uh, a lot of new stuff too. Like I said, I'm not going to beat people down with COVID stuff, but you know, it is the elephant in the room. We got to talk about it. Um, but I got a lot of other crazy stories and, you know, as always, you know, just rapid fire, you know, machine gun style comedy. And, uh, you know, we get in, we get out, we go to the Red Fox and drink airport beers. I'm looking forward to it. Don, th- hey, thanks so much for doing this. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I will see you this week. I'll probably be uh, be there Thursday and Saturday. I got some stuff going on Friday, but I'll, I'll definitely be up there. We'll hang out. Cool. We'll have a glass of piss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>